UX Podcast Episode 163. This is UX Podcast with me, James Roy Lawson. And me, Pat Axbom. Coming to you from Stockholm, Sweden, with listeners in 170 countries, from Gibraltar to El Salvador. Ah, I love that. I lo- if somebody has to keep track of what country... Are you keeping track of what country I am starting okay. to document, but wow. I've not completed the audit yet. <laughs> so apologies if I've already mentioned your country. Yeah. Or congratulations <laughs> for saying it twice. Today, we are talking about design systems, and I'm really looking forward to it. Uh, we are interviewing Gina Ann. Uh, who created her first style guide in 2004. Uh, and I'm going to blatantly steal from uh, the UXLX website because they have a nice paragraph about Gina uh, from her workshop she did uh, this year at UXLX in uh, Lisbon. Uh, so Gina has been a designer, a developer, a writer, and a speaker on design systems ever since she, she created that first one in 2004. And at Salesforce t- today... She is lead designer on uh, the Lightning Design System, and she also created the Design System Slack, which led her to start the San Francisco Design Systems Coalition. And she organizes Clarity, the first ever Design Systems Conference. So there's plenty of design systems included in that intro. (laughs) Let's talk to her. So Gina, welcome to UX Podcast. Uh, Thank you for joining us. Thanks for having me. And... uh, we're talking today about design systems, and I'm going to be really honest here and say that I'm, I haven't worked much with design systems. I know sometimes I've, been, I've thought I should have a design system here, but it, you mostly I, I build a prototype, and so that is the, 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 the design system that, that people use, and I'm realizing that there must be a better way of doing this, and I guess I suppose that's, uh, that's what you work with. Tell us a bit about what, what design systems are, because I'm not sure I would even be able to explain that. Uh, yeah, it's it's funny because everybody seems to have a different definition. Um, I think these days when people talk about design systems, it is in the context of web and software um, or otherwise product design. So in that context, it is uh, how you scale design and, and UI across uh, you know an application and maybe even different formats of that network. Of, of that application, like uh, web, native, um, you might even have different forms of native, like Android, iOS, and so on. Mm-hmm. Um, some people don't actually scale to that many platforms, so it may just be, you know, in the context of a web application. But uh, because of all the different ways that a design system can be used, I think everyone sort of has a different idea of what they are. But Something that I've kind of told people um, is, you know, it's definitely a context thing because when I think of the graphic standards manual that, um, you know, NASA has or the New York Public Transportation from back in the mid-century days or the 70s, like to me, that's still a design system. Um, It's just over time, it's kind of evolved and grown into a platform, uh, you know, usually there's uh, tooling and a style guide and component library and there's all these different pieces that uh, come together to be a design system. Mm. Right. So the the I mean you will have pair in the past worked with with style guides. 
Yeah, yeah like like mm. the graphic profile of the company, and you have to adhere to different, uh, I guess, fonts and colors. Yeah, stuff like that. Yeah, right. Yeah, um, but that's now that's now considered to be a a, um, a sub element of a design system, right? Yeah, I I guess you know, the the NASA system is definitely uh, more brand based across all the different shuttles and uniforms and uh, even vans, but uh, you know, brand is only a small part of what design systems are today because now. We have to concern ourselves with components and interaction patterns and animation and sometimes even sound. And so the concept of scaling the system is a much broader context now. Right. Yeah, because in some cases, I guess um, with Salesforce, you, you, you're, you're spanning not just um, devices and platforms, but you're, you're spanning um, products as well. Like there's a suite of products that should adhere to a design system. Yeah, and some of those products fall into alignment with the overall Salesforce brand, and some of our products kind of keep their own brand, such as Heroku and Quip. So um, there's a lot of different factors to think about. Mm. So when, I suppose one of the one of the things I guess a lot of us will will fight with is is how how much do we need to stick to design systems? I mean, the point you make there about different branding across different products is, is one aspect of it. It's like when, when you've got the kind of black sheep amongst your platforms or products, um, how much do we need to care and, and how much does it matter? Mm. I think special snowflake is a nicer <laughs> term oh, than black okay, sheep. Oh, I like a special <laughs> snowflake for the black sheep. Okay, yeah, no, I go along yeah. with that. Um, <laughs> how do you deal with special snowflakes? <laughs> You know, and, you know, special snowflakes have their place. Um, I think a lot of people think that design systems are very rigid and you're not supposed to uh, do anything outside of that. And that's not really the case. A, you know, if you think of the design system as a toolbox um, and you're building a house, you have everything in your toolbox, but you may actually go do something unique that's not in your toolbox. Like maybe you grab some uh, purple paint and you paint your house a certain color that um, you know kind of is unique and different like you're not only stuck with what's in your toolbox and so I kind of think of a design system in that way um, a design system helps enable you to be more creative more quickly and you definitely want to use the tools so that you can be more efficient and more um, uh, thoughtful about how you build things but you're not stuck to that. Like you can definitely still uh, bring in your own brand or bring in your own creativity. Mm. I mean, I guess one thing that's almost universally true is that um, every every platform, every product has its own um, unique problems. Mm-hmm. So, so a, a design system would only only guide you in solving those problems rather than offer the solution on a plate. Yeah, and so, you know, I see a lot of people writing up, you know, <clears throat> here's everything a design system should have. And I think that's like a great thing to aspire to, but in reality, not everybody needs all those things. Like for some companies, it might just be uh, a CSS framework or a UI kit done in Sketch. Whereas Salesforce, because we have so many different products and platforms um, and even you know, other levels of, of abstraction that we have to think about. Like for us, a design system is much, much more than that. 
Um, so it's, I, what I tell everyone is like, it, it depends. It's all co in context of what you need. Yeah. So I, I guess one of the challenges has to be, how do you get the organization to actually uh, do what the design system says? Because I mean, I, looking at the style guides in the past and the design patterns I put up sometimes, people just, okay, you have that, but I'm going to do this because uh, I sort of, I know better or I'm going to do separate research to, do, to find out what's going to work. How do you make sure that people actually try to stick as close to the design system as, as you want them to? In our case, um, it's part of our process and how we ship product. And so it's not something on the side that you look at like a instruction manual. Mm. Um, rather, like to build a component, you need to use markup. And most of the markup patterns that we've defined, you use that markup and you're already getting the styles because we've already put the styles into core, yeah. um, you know, the production code mm. base we call yeah. core. Um, so it's just already there. Um, you don't have to style a button because it's already there. Um, we also have other things in place, like a lot of tooling and testing. Um, if somebody is overriding styles or um, you know mixing styles, we actually have tools like uh, one of them is a Chrome Inspector tool that we made that actually will grade uh, your screen that you're building or your your UI and tell you like, hey, you kind of did a bunch of custom stuff here. You might want to take a look at that and see if you can clean some of this out. Um, wow. But you know, in some cases you have to do an override or, or a change and it's just kind of a case by case basis thing. Right, so so even though you're saying that um, design systems can't be um, really, really rigid and 100% and, um, followed as such, you, by, by applying by including the, the, the use of the design system in the process, you then police it through uh, auditing or through system or through testing tools to, to help them then, I guess, that to, to get another uh, component included in the design system. There would, there would then be some kind of process that you guys have for, for uh, applying for that or, or, or investigating that and, and coming, coming with the pattern to be included. So it's included in your core. Yeah, and it's been a very uh, iterative process. Like initially, our team were taking these component requests and building them, distributing them, documenting them, um, and then you know, each release we would have reviews and tell people, oh, instead of this, you should be using this pattern. But as you know, more and more people are adopting the system, and uh, the t you know the needs are growing it's not really sustainable to put that all on one team. And so we have a shared ownership model where, um, you know, whoever's designing that feature should be in those review meetings. And um, we are putting the documentation um, in a shared ownership model where other designers can contribute. It's not just us contributing anymore. And it's part of the whole release process where uh, if it's not already documented, then you document it and add it into the system and we collaborate with each other rather than having this service-based model that we used to have. Right, so, so the, you could say that the, the sponsor of the component, the, the, the one that's come up with the, the, the problem and then the, the need for a new solution, they become shared, they have a shared responsibility to make sure it's, it's included and, and followed through. Right. Do you have um, designers that um, 
that work embedded with the products and then a central team that's that's in, in charge of the design system. Yeah, um, I actually have an article I wrote in response to an article that Nathan Curtis wrote about team models. Yeah. And he went over three models, um, the what he called the overlords, like the solitary model. And um, the second model is the centralized team. The third model is all the teams contributing together as a federated model. And so the model that we have that I wrote about was, you know, we have a centralized team focus on the design system. It's actually a mega team. It's, it's comprised of multiple teams. And then we have all these federated product designers and, um, you know, researchers and prototypers that can contribute to the system. And so we all own it together. Wow, it's, that's huge. <laughs> how, how, how do you get how do you get buy-in? I mean, obviously, so I, I like what I'm hearing, and, and I, this is something I would tr want to try out. But how do I convince a client or a team that this is the way forward? Because I'm, I'm guessing there's a long time to set everything up because it's not only mm -hmm. the design system, it's the whole framework with all the CSS and everything. Yeah. Well, can I hi hijack yeah. your question a little bit, Aaron? Yeah. I think <laughs> what you're, you're probably asking is yeah. how how do you start small? Because because yeah, exactly. Gina here is working yeah. with Salesforce, mm. and you know it seems mm. like when we've talked about material design in mm. Google, the 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 scale at which mm. you're you're designing the design mm. system and where you're starting from mm. and the resources mm. at your c at disposal is completely different to maybe when you're working with a with a with a I don't know an organization that's based in Stockholm exactly. with I don't know mm -hmm. a few hundred people. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, so we, we did actually smart, uh, start small. We focused on one product um, initially, which was Sales Cloud, and that's our uh, flagship product. And we did an audit of all the different UI elements and components. Um, and once we kind of did that inventory, we narrowed down like the most commonly used patterns. And the, that was the list that we started from. And initially the idea was that we were going to build this out for us to use on the UX team. And then once it was kind of in a, a state that was ready to start showing people. Um, so we have a external developer platform of people, other companies that build tools and products for the Salesforce ecosystem. Mm. We were, we were going to offer it to them as something they could use so that they could make their, uh, their tools and their apps look and feel like Salesforce. And then if that like proved well, then we were going to bring it into our own product. And the reason I thought this was the order was from just the people I talked to. I talked to engineers and they were like, oh yeah, this sounds great, but we're busy and it'll probably be years before we can adopt this. Hmm. So that's what we initially sought out for. Um, however, <laughs> things changed. Uh, we, you know, released a prototype of the documentation site and some of the components like buttons and media objects and cards, you know, all the basic patterns. And then we found that production engineers saw it and liked what they saw and started copying and pasting our CSS into their CSS. And that's not really what we wanted because now they're just duplicating CSS. Mm. And so, um, you know, we were trying to work with them to clean, clean up their CSS. If you're going to use our CSS, delete some of the old CSS mm. and so on. Um, and then it really, um, what I 
I think it came down to is we had to do a, a huge overhaul of our navigation. Um, our navigation was on the left, and then there was a big executive decision to move the navigation to the top. And I, I believe that was the that was the situation where we had to like make this quick like change. And execs actually saw that we were able to help the engineers do this change much more quickly and efficiently because we had already built it out. And it kind of comes down to showing and not telling. Because when I asked people or showed people things and my other teammates were doing this, people pushed back. But when you show them the results and like how much faster the engineers were able to move, then people get it. And then next thing we knew, it came down from on high that everybody had to use our system. And it was like, okay, uh, this just got real. <laughs> <laughs> so what you're saying then is if you do, do really good work, then somebody up top will notice and they'll say that everyone has to do the same. <laughs> yeah, I mean, especially if they know, you know, Salesforce has been around for like, I guess, 17 or 18 years, and they know the pace at which we ship product, and then they see this like major feature happen so quickly, mm. like they want to see more of that. Exactly. <laughs> I guess that's one of the, the mm. advantages by making the strategic choice of, of um, documenting or using, doing the design system for the flagship product first. Yes. <laughs> um, although that probably has its risks because you, I, I'm, I can imagine there's the whole you know, um, oh, the, the the big brother thing that the flagship product is the one that takes up so much space and that the smaller products then would feel dominated by the mm. the big one. Yeah, it's a tricky situation because you want all the different product teams to feel like they have their own autonomy and their own decision making, but yet feel part of an overall family. Um, so we were very careful to try to make this more of a, not a, you have to do this now, but more of how can we help you do this? Because this is the overall goal. Let's, let's get there together. Mm-hmm. I've got a question about how, um, how do you keep track of things that um, deviate? So like if a, if a product decides that, you know, they've got a, uh, oh, what was it, a special snowflake or... Um, <laughs> or, or <laughs> or they, um, or they, or they've realised that they've got something which um, they're just not going to follow. The, they're they're not going to adhere to it for some reason. Maybe they've got an executive decision at a lower level that says we're going to go with this. Do you keep track of that? Is there a need to keep track of that? I think it's always an it depends situation. Like I have seen um, companies that we've acquired come into the family that have their own brand, and they keep their brand for maybe two to three years, and then at some point decide to take on the Salesforce brand. And sometimes that's a decision they make because Salesforce is such a worldwide, huge brand and they want to have that name associated with them. In other cases, uh, you know, they decide to be completely separate. Like Heroku has been in the Salesforce family for maybe, I don't know, six or seven years now. And they've still got the Heroku purple and Mm. they still have their own aesthetic. But I think a big part of that is, you know, they're also a really successful, well-functioning company, and so they kind of uh, get to do that. But um, they might do where, you know, in the community, especially with developers, they keep that brand, but then when they're at enterprise, um, you know, conferences or talking to enterprise customers, um, then it's more of like, hey, we're part of the Salesforce family. Um, so you can kind of change that 
you know, if you look at the Heroku footer, the Salesforce logo is there. So mm. um, it's kind of more of like the context thing. Um, Quip is another example. Like they they have their own look and feel, and I think it's good that they have their own look and feel because they're a small business and um, maybe medium-sized business offering, and it's very easy to use. And they did take our font. Like if I don't know if you use Quip or no. have checked it out, but they, they changed their font, <laughs> so it now uses our font, but they didn't take on the full lightning look and feel, and that's okay. Right. But but you don't keep track of that then. You you just you just know it. So we're aware of it, and you know we do, you know we we do have meetings with them from time to time to tell them you know here's some updated mm. patterns if you're interested in using it. But as of right now, they're still running as their own thing, which um, I personally think is is good because I think a, a good design system. Um, allows for that kind of thing mm. and so they I do believe they're going to be using some of our stuff just not all of our stuff and I think you know if you think about it like again like a toolbox like if they just want to use the hammer then that's fine <laughs> yeah I think one one I think one aspect of this I was wondering about is that it, by by documenting the the um, the places where it's been where things have been applied and mm -hmm. where they made these deviations um, that it would give the um, design system team more of an idea of, of um, whether or not to, to touch something or whether or not to, you know, how big a job it is to alter something. Like the, some things are obvious, like the navigation. You're not gonna, yeah. you're not gonna just gonna kind of dip your toes in the navigation pattern and and just kind of shake it around a bit. Um, <laughs> but some other patterns, maybe it's not so obvious. And if you've kind of had a, a good idea of how widespread it was used mm. or how many even deviations there were, then that gives you a input into a judgment call about okay do we do we prioritize changing this or updating yeah. it i actually have that problem today we have three or four different accordions in the same system or in the, in the same same website so uh, everybody's al always arguing about which one to choose mm. yeah and you know it, sometimes it's okay to have more than one um you just need to kind of like have a use case like you know use this accordion when this is needed versus this accordion when this is needed. Just, um, I think it's a matter of documentation. We had the same thing for a little while where we were doing um, a date picker, or actually no, it was a color picker. And we were realizing we had like four different color pickers. Mm. And the first initial reaction is, oh, we only need one. But then we realized there were a, a couple places where it might not be a completely different date picker, but they might need like a different variant of that date picker mm. so or yeah <laughs> yeah I mean, I, no, but I love that if you can if you can describe the problem that you're solving then of course it's okay to have several exactly. killer pickers or but then or you have to make people read <laughs> and motivate why they're doing <laughs> stuff <laughs> well it's not just about reading we also have <laughs> we have standards reviews and advisory boards mm. um my my manager nicole she's putting together sort of forgot what she called it but it's basically a, a design systems um, I guess you could call it like consortium or something it's like people from all these different products can like get together and talk I, I'm not exactly sure what she's calling it but I think it's a great idea because it's like you know here's a chance for us all to chat and see what each other are working on and be aware of what's out there mm -hmm. 
One thing I do like now is how we're we're using the the I know these various different names for lots of different aspects of this work, but I I, I like the fact we're saying components now as opposed to maybe um, design patterns or um, of of things that we UI patterns mm -hmm. that we maybe use to say more often. I like the fact that it includes the coding aspect of 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 these things when you say components, but. I oh. think Lego. You think Lego? <laughs> yeah. No, and I was, uh, even though I like components, yeah. I was thinking, that, well, what I've noticed is that you can, you get confusion and pushback sometimes from developers because there are component libraries. Ah, and, right. and you can even buy component mm. libraries with loads of predefined, mm. these bootstrap, all these mm. kind of uh, frameworks as well with mm. loads and loads of components built mm. in. So, so when you're maybe working with a design system and you've, listed out your nicely designed components and described them and you've, you've, you've um, said how they should be applied and when they should be applied. How do you deal with that, that kind of kickback from developers or confusion about, oh, well, I've got a component here and they pull in one from, you know, they pull in a menu from some <laughs> library that they've got. Yeah, so there's, there's a lot of debate around that type of terminology, not just um, in the industry, but like definitely inside Salesforce. Um, when we did the prototype, we actually had it called UI library. And the reason that we did that was our production framework already had the concept of components. Uh -huh. And we did not want to confuse people because our components are basically just the HTML and CSS, like the idealized version of it. But their components comes with all the logic and, and JavaScript to do all the different states. And so... It's, it's a very different thing. Mm. And um, personally, I still prefer UI library um, for our design system documentation because they don't have um, all that other stuff brought into it. However, um, you know, a, a person higher up in the team kind of won out on that decision and decided to use components. And it has caused some confusion. However, our stuff is getting more and more closer to their stuff. So I, I guess maybe at the end of the day, it's all going to be the same thing anyway. So. Mm. As long yeah. as you have the same goal in mind, as always. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. Doing a workshop on this must be really challenging because there seems to be so much to cover. I mean, what, what would be some, like, let's say I, I now have... I sort of have a design system. I just don't, haven't implemented it because I have it in my head. Where do I start? What are the, some of the shortcuts I could take to put some of this down so it can be used by others? Um, so you said if you already have one? I, well, Ooh, I basically, I, well, I have a design. I have a, the, oh, you mean like that? I have the components in the prototype, but I haven't like implemented uh, yes. a design system yet. Where do I start? Obviously, I like to start with research first because mm. I think any good product should start with research and a design system in this context is a product. Mm. Um, so that the answer to this question could be very different depending on what the research shows. But after the research, uh, the UI inventory or um, component inventory, whatever you want to <laughs> whatever you want to call it, I think it's really important because it helps you see where all the different patterns are and it kind of helps you realize what things you need to focus on first. And I also like to start with a prioritized list of like, you know, let's say 10 of the most used components and just focus on that list and don't touch anything else. And the reason for that, it's really easy to uh, blow up the scope of something and you know, keep trying to build things just because you think, oh, maybe one day I might need a carousel. Well, we decided not to build a carousel because we actually don't use one. Mm 
Um, and we've even had people tell us, well, Bootstrap has a carousel. How come you guys don't have a carousel? Mm. It's like, because we don't have one. Um, so just figuring out exactly the list of components that you need and focusing on that and getting every, everything designed and documented and uh, built out. Um, and then, you know, create a backlog of all the other stuff that you want to get to after that. Um, my my manager actually has this um, story she tells. What she she said it's called the the unsightly clean spot. And in her story, she her, her name's Nicole Sullivan. Um, she she said she knows this guy who cleans up cars. Like he he likes to restore and like polish and uh, you know he, like old classic cars. And, and rather than trying to do the entire car, he'll focus on like just the bumper or just the hubcap. Um, or you know some piece of it and so that's kind of the way I like to approach design systems and the way I like to approach refactoring is focus on one thing or like one small area at a time um, the most important one that you think is is like you know the one that's like like it might be buttons or it might be the header or something like that that you think is going to touch a lot of different areas. Get that aligned and documented and distributed and then um, move on to the next thing. Don't try to do everything all at once. That is a really good advice. <laughs> so is it is it ever too soon to start? Or maybe is it ever is it ever too when when's the point where it becomes too costly to get on with it, maybe? I kinda look at it as an investment. So if you can start sooner, I think it's better because you'll have a much bigger reward just like an investment um, if you wait till later it's you, you know it's going to take a lot longer to see the value in that um, it'll still you'll still get value but it's it's not going to be as as big of a reward mm. but i realize the reality is most of us are inheriting projects um, a lot of people aren't getting the opportunity to start from scratch um, so you know even still, like it's it's never too late either. So, um, yeah, I like to think there's no project too small, no project too big, no project. Um, I I think every project could could benefit from a design system. I think that is an absolute excellent note to finish our chat on. Yeah. <laughs> thank you very much for um, for chatting us today. That was Gina. excellent. I learned a lot. Thank you. Awesome. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks. <laughs> I really love this entire topic about design systems. As, as, as regular listeners probably will know, remember, I mean, we, we've talked about material design a, a reasonable bit over the years. A year ago, we, 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 um, we had a full episode about material design. Yeah. And we brought in um, Richard um, uh, Fulcher yes. from Google, who was mm -hmm. part of the team that designed material design, to talk about that design system. And then uh, many years ago now, 2013, we talked to Brad Frost. Yeah. Um, and got into atomic design a little bit with him in the very early days of, of when he was discussing that and talking mm. about it. Um, so it's something we've come back to a few times. Yeah, and also, I mean, listening to Gina, it, it seems like where I am now, or where I, where I was actually consulting previously now for four years, it, it would have saved so much time, solved so many conflicts, mm. uh, made the whole thing more efficient mm. if I had, had access to a design system or been able to put one together. But for me, it's been a resource problem. I've, I was basically the only UXer on the team. Mm. Uh, so 
having the time to put that together at the same time as you're doing all the other work, uh, it's a challenge. Absolutely. So that's, that's why I was sort of always asking about the selling process. How do you get the buy-in for people to actually understand how good it is? But mm. I think she gave some really great answers about focus, focus on the 10 most important uh, uh, patterns, or, or even, I would even say five. <laughs> yeah, and I, I've, I've got something to yeah. add to that one. That um, It's good to use, to focus on the, the, the most used ones. Yeah. Um, but I... I think it's a good idea to maybe um, start with the 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 ones um, the the most deviations because I I think if like if you've got a situation where people are starting to point out that you've got deviation yeah um, you maybe have a situation where the developers mm. don't know which bit of code to steal from another part of the product or another product because there's too many to choose from mm. and there's maybe a, a real good opportunity mm. to to quickly show value and to tidy up mm. like you you get harmony with that component. Um, and then move on to another one. In Gina's defense, she did say she did start with research. She did, and in the research, you would have come to that conclusion. Yeah, <laughs> but it's, it's not necessarily always the most used ones. No, yeah, um, but uh, but the the message there is don't do all of them. No, make sure you just do. Yeah, exactly. Don't don't try and build a design system <laughs> yeah. and then go tada. Exactly. Um, you can you can. And I would love to just like she mentioned buttons, and I, I was immediately thinking I would love to spend some time just on the buttons because that would make a huge difference. This is the primary one. This is the secondary one. This is the one for cancel. Yeah. Uh, I know that's so one of the that's one of the tips I've seen um, over the years that you can you can quickly get a feel of um, I suppose um, the consistency of a user interface mm. by doing a um, a button audit. Yeah. So you don't need to do a complete UI audit. You yeah. can actually just do a button audit. I remember doing one of those. Yeah, actually. and they're so much fun. <laughs> yeah. I've done them a couple of times with with kind of like new clients to 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 basically just. Give them an idea of the scale of the problem. Yeah, like you got like these are all your buttons, mm. and there's like uh, you know you do a huge yeah. graphic twenty to fifty usually. Oh god, yeah. at least. Yeah. Um, and then you go, oh, is that a button? I didn't realize that was a button. I said, well, it, no, it behaves like a button. So you you get into all that kind of stuff yeah. too, and they see the deviations, and then yeah. then you get a step towards um, you you move towards them understanding maybe the value of, of tidying up. Um, but um, but going back to your original point about you know you wished you'd started. Um, with the work you've done recently um, by having a design system from mm. day one, pretty much. Yeah. I think there is where um, the importance of having um, a, a, having it part of your design process, so personal design process, mm. that um, effectively what you needed was a was a way of documenting so you could communicate to yourself. Yeah. Yeah, because because yeah. I, I mean I know that I mean I, I forget stuff all the time. I, I do I come up with a smart idea mm. and I use it one particular place for one particular mm. problem and then something else comes up and I've forgotten that I've solved the problem, a similar problem earlier. And you don't always join the dots and realize it's maybe the same, the same pattern or yeah. the same component. Um, so, so there I think there's, there's probably a, a, a reasonably simple way you could maybe document that doesn't cost that much time but allows you to communicate with yourself better mm. before you get into the, the grandiose um, notion of a, of a design system. Exactly. Because it does sound very expensive. Um, when you're talking to some clients, microsystem, the, the design microsystem is what we start with, yeah. and I don't know what that is. No, but research will tell you. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I mean, I, I've, another another thing I've read and um, has been said about design systems is that you could and perhaps even should treat them as products in themselves. And I think that's actually a really good, a really interesting idea, and probably a really healthy idea. Because if you follow some of the same processes that you would follow for developing mm. any of your products mm. and apply it to the to the design system itself, 
you know, with like you know, maybe a backlog of, of items, yeah. uh, you've got like a product owner, mm. um, you, oh, maybe in a budget or a team, then in, in, at least in companies where you've got a more mature um, yeah. um, set of products and mature yeah. um, design system, then definitely I think con considering it as a, as a product in itself yeah. would be excellent. That makes complete sense to me, <laughs> actually. Alrighty then, uh, as per usual, find us everywhere on the internet as UX Podcast. We're on Instagram. We usually don't tell people we're on Instagram. Don't I? Well, we're on Instagram. Yeah. As UX Podcast. <laughs> um, if you aren't already a subscriber, then it's really, really good if you can just press click and add us wherever you're listening to us now, whether it's SoundCloud or whether it's um, in your podcast client or anywhere. Mm. Show notes on all our previous episodes can be found at uxpodcast.com. And also you can sign up for our backstage mailing list where we usually or quite often give out little goodies and discounts yeah, and so I on. Yeah, I saw you've been sending out some discounts there. Yeah, don't tell They're everyone. Very nice. Don't tell everyone. Okay. Remember to keep moving. See you on the other side. Who's there? A broken pencil. A broken pencil who? Never mind, it's pointless. Oh. <laughs>